One Week Season. going on one week season fam jm to win here welcome to the week 11 edition of the ows angles podcast i am your host i am your guest i am jm to win throw this baby on 1.5 x speed let's get started and let's get started with our fifth mission of the season. Actually, this is mission five through seven. You may have already seen this on the missions page. Quick background on missions in case you have not been paying attention. We are doing drawings in week 15 for a bunch of really cool prizes. We are doing drawings for two to three hour coaching sessions, one-on-one coaching sessions with me, with Mike, with Hilo, with Zandamir. That's like $250 to $375 of value. We are giving away free inner circle for life, which is thousands of dollars in value. We're giving multiple free inner circle for life, life for lives away. Uh, we are giving away several all access passes to marketplace, which again is hundreds and hundreds of dollars. We're giving away free OWS annual. All you have to do to have an opportunity to win these is complete missions. You get entries into the week 15 drawings. Missions five through seven. Now keep in mind, missions one, two, three, and four are still on the table for you through the end of week 13. You can go into the missions page, you can complete any of these missions and add entries. Weeks five through seven, the mission is simple. Accumulate edge points. We have two very easy ways for you to accumulate edge points. One of them is detailed on the mission page, but it is your edge multiplier link. Basically, you use your unique link. Any of your friends, family members, fantasy league mates who sign up for OWS free, which is free, you get 10 edge points and an entry into the mission's drawings. Everything that they purchase on the site after that, whether it's a course, whether it's an OWS week pass, OWS annual, whatever it might be, you also continue to get edge points off of that for two years. So pretty cool way to pick up free marketplace courses and free OWS annual, free inner circle. Quick note on that. Much respect to those of you who have tried to find the workaround there. I say much respect because I would have thought of that when I was 21, 22, 23 and thought it was very clever and thought, well, it doesn't hurt anybody. So let me go ahead and do this. The workaround being creating a bunch of fake email addresses and using those email addresses to sign up for fake accounts through your Edge multiplier link. We've had three, four, five of you try that this year. Annoyed Rotomaven quite a bit. For me, it was more of a chuckle-worthy affair to say, oh, I could see myself having come up with that years ago. Uh, Unfortunately, it does actually hurt us because we still pay out our contributors for the marketplace courses that were purchased through edge points. So it's basically kind of stealing money directly from our pocket. Thankfully, we have very easy ways to see when people are doing this. So you might as well just not do it, not waste the time. With that said, uh, edge points, easy to pick up. It's Thanksgiving week. Everybody plays DFS Thanksgiving week. So friends, family members, fantasy league mates, uh, get them into OWS free for Thanksgiving week. The other way that you can accumulate edge points is mission four, the sports books. uh, All of that is detailed on the missions page. So I won't dive in any deeper there. But again, just a very quick reminder, missions help you. Missions also help us. OWS, which is important if you like OWS and want OWS to still be here in its current form next season. And missions also get you entries into the drawings for all this really cool stuff that we're giving away. So please be sure to check out the missions page on the in the OWS menu. Find all the details there. I mentioned Thanksgiving week. That's the next thing I want to hit on really quickly before we get to the week 11 slate. Thanksgiving week. If you missed the Angles email, 
Everything that you need for the Thanksgiving slate can be found in the NFL Edge. Most of it will be coming in on Wednesday, I would imagine, but we're going to have full breakdowns of all three games. We're going to have, same as we've done in past Thanksgivings, a full slate interpretation. Uh, Hilo will be writing up a full slate interpretation. I will be writing up a full slate interpretation. Zandemir will be providing showdown notes. We will have ownership projections. And also, if you are in Inner Circle, there will be a special Thanksgiving edition of the Oracle at the top of the NFL edge. If you are not in inner circle, that is also one of the missions, but also we do a black Friday sale every year that kicks off on Tuesday. You will find the promo code at the top of the NFL edge on Tuesday, 50% off everything. That's 50% off the rest of season price of inner circle. Rest of season price is 39 bucks. If you're in OWS annual, so $19 and 50 cents for what's basically like hundreds of dollars worth of DFS training, strategy prep, so on and so forth each week, plus the Oracle each week. So you can find that promo code at the top of the NFL Edge on Tuesday, 50% off all Marketplace courses. That's the only time of year that you can beat the 30% off discount that Inner Circle members have all the time. 50% off the rest of season OWS annual price, which doesn't impact any of you because you're already in OWS annual because you're listening to the angles pod. But again, go to the NFL edge on Tuesday, Wednesday, and all of this stuff will be rolling in for you to prep you for the Thanksgiving slate. Oh, I almost forgot my Tuesday segment this next week. Uh, again, the Tuesday segment is generally focused on big picture training for DFS, but a lot of times we take stuff from past slates or the slate ahead. We will be talking about short slate strategy. Short slates are one of the most plus EV ways to scoop up extra money in DFS. We will be talking about short slate strategy through the lens of the Thanksgiving slate. So basically kind of breaking down the Thanksgiving slate and talking about short slate strategy along the way. So that's for Inner Circle members on Tuesday night, archived for those who are not there live. And again, you can gain access next week for $19.50 for the rest of the season. With that, let's move on to the week 11 slate. Really interesting slate this week in that we have one very obvious decision point and filter for rosters and one less obvious decision point and filter for rosters. The obvious decision point and filter for rosters, and by filter for rosters, I mean, where are people starting their thought processes? Most people this week will be starting their thought processes around this Cowboys-Chiefs game. There is nothing wrong with doing that. This game has an over-under of 56 and is two of the highest scoring offenses in the NFL. And just from a standpoint of personnel and personality of these teams, the chances of this turning into a back and forth affair are obviously relatively high. That's why the game has an over under of 56. Now, we also want to keep in mind in a spot like this that Vegas is going to get their line to a point where they will generally make money every week. In other words, they will generally get about 50% of the bets on one side or 50% of the money on one side, 50% of the money on the other. And in spots where that doesn't end up being the case, where we see it sometimes, right? Like 60, 70% of the money comes in on one side of the line. Over time, Vegas is still going to be 50-50 on those lines. So they might have some weeks where they get, where they take a bloodbath, but then other weeks where they make a bunch of money off of those lines. So all that to say, if we played out this game a hundred times, there is a pretty good chance that this game would finish under 56 points about 50% of the time, maybe 45% of the time, but somewhere in that range. So it's easy to, one of the things we talk about in inner circle from time to time, when your inclination is to think positively about a, a spot, Recognize that the field's inclination is likely the same and recognize that one of the best things you can do is to also force yourself to think negatively about that spot. Flip that around when everybody is thinking negatively about a spot. One of the best things you can do is force yourself to think positively about that spot, recognizing that the certainty that people cling to in in one way that a game can play out can trap them into not seeing another way that the game can play out. So that's not to say that the way that you flip your mind to see things is necessarily going to be the way in which things play out in the small sample size of that one week. But it is to say that over time, 
forcing yourself to see both sides of something and describe both sides of something is going to put you in better position to make money. Furthermore, when you are trying to assess process, I say this all the time, but I, I don't think that it sinks in on the first time you hear it or the second time or the third time or the fourth time or the fifth time. So I'll keep saying it. And that's that one of the best ways to assess process is to assess process before games ever kick off. To know whether or not you had a good week before games ever kick off. So if you're in Inner Circle, I walked through a really cool example, a really good example of this on Tuesday night uh, from my roster from last week, where it was like my roster didn't come together in week 10 in such a way that it was profitable. But I could look at that roster and say, if we played out this slate 100 times, this roster would be extremely profitable over that larger sample size. And I knew that going into the games and I knew that coming out of the games and going into the games, I was able to describe the ways in which my roster could fail. In fact, going as deep as being able to like hit on the exact percentage of times that my roster from week 10 would fail, would fall apart. As always, if you are betting on fewer things, if you're giving yourself fewer things you need to get right in order to get multiple roster spots correct, it's easier to kind of narrow down those percentages and say, okay, well, at this frequency, this player block or this stack or whatever it might be will miss. But when it hits, it's obviously giving me a huge edge on the field and I have this you know, three spots covered or four spots covered or whatever it might be that the field won't have covered in this exact way. So if you're tendency is to always think positively about the spots that you're thinking positively about. When they fail, it can be difficult to see what you might have done wrong. Or if you're just thinking negatively about a spot, but you've thought about the spot a decent amount, not not just pass through a game and been like, oh, well, this isn't really a, a great game, right? The over-under is 44 and there aren't that many great pieces and it's unlikely that a tournament winning score or a had-to-have-it score comes out of this spot. That's fine. That's whatever. But if you're kind of more in those middling point totals or those offenses that have kind of the middling team implied totals or those players who have kind of the big games, the the boom bust types of players, and you're thinking negatively about that player, you might very well end up being correct. But you should also take some time and think about the way that that player, that team, that game can succeed. Walk through the examples of how that game could play out in such a way that that game or that team or those players succeed. That way, on the weeks when that happens, you can say, okay, well, I assessed this. I knew that this was not probable. I knew that this was possible. That was a hard word to find. I I knew that this was possible. And I kind of assessed the possibility of this game breaking this way against the possibilities of other games breaking the ways that I bet on them breaking. And I determined that you know, over time, if I played out this slate over and over again, I would be profitable going this direction. I knew that this game could hit. I knew that this player could hit, but I knew that the percentages of them hitting didn't stack up in such a way that it made sense on this roster or on the number of rosters I was building or whatever it might be. Same thing when a game that you're heavy on fails, you could say, well, that's fine. I knew that that was in the cards. I knew that that was in the range of possibilities. It failed. That's okay. I already assessed the potential for that to happen and was comfortable that this was still one of the most plus EV ways for me to build. So bringing that back over where we started this discussion, this Cowboys and Chiefs game, the I laid out these numbers in the Oracle this week, but the the Chiefs have had games of, of 44 combined points, 30 combined points, 37 combined points, 20 combined points. The Cowboys have had games of 37 combined points, 36. Now that one was with Cooper Rush, 46 and 46. So again, you bring these two teams together, more than likely we're going, it, it feels like more than likely we're going over 56. Probably that's not the case. Probably 50 to 55% of the time we go over 56. 50 to 45% of the time we go under 56. What we need to understand about this game is that the games that give us had to have it scores are typically not the games that combine for 56 points. That's great if a game combines for 56 points or if it's two teams that don't typically produce that type of score and the players are all cheaper and it goes for 56, then from a point per dollar perspective, you can end up with these had to have it types of scores. 
But if two teams frequently go above 56 points, right? The Chiefs and Cowboys have played 19 combined games this year. And in 10 of those 19 combined games, the game totals have been over 56 points. When teams frequently score points at that level, their players are priced for that type of production. So if this game goes for 56 combined points, the chances of there being a true had-to-have-it score are relatively low. And what I mean by that is not that there are not scores that would be great to have on your roster, right? If Tyreek Hill puts up 27 points, if Travis Kelsey puts up 22, 23, 24 points, that's going to be a perfectly strong and acceptable score. But if they put up those scores and you don't have them on your roster, you're not going to be beating yourself up at the end of the day on Sunday for not playing those guys. There are going to be other guys who score in those ranges. Now, if Travis Kelsey scores 22, 23, 24 points, he's probably separating himself from the other tight ends, but he's also separated enough in price that if you get the guy who's 3,500, 3,900, who puts up 12 points, 13 points, you're not in any worse shape. If you're also able to then move that salary over to a wide receiver in the 7K range or a running back in the 6K range who puts up 24 to 25 to 28 points, you've now kind of gained an edge overall. If you miss out on the Tyree Kill 27, 28 point game, but you get the Christian McCaffrey 27, 28 point game or 35 to 38 point game or 40 point game, you're still in great shape. If you miss out on the Tyree Kill 27-point game and get Dalvin Cook's 24, 26, 28, 30-point game, you're still in great shape. So the had-to-have-it scores, the games where Tyree Kill goes for 40, goes for 50, he had a 60-point score last year. Travis Kelsey hasn't buried you for not playing him since 2018 when he had a 42-point game. But in those games where Travis Kelsey puts up 26, 28, 30 points. Now he's creating creating enough separation from the other tight ends that it is kind of tough to keep up with him. Those types of outputs are likeliest to come in games where both teams score a lot of points, or at least where one of these teams scores a lot of points. Five touchdowns or more is typically the market I'm looking at. So when we say 56 points, well, that's about four touchdowns for each team. We need to get up to that five touchdown range where the extra yards get tacked on, those extra points are flowing in for these had to have it scores to be likelier to start materializing, especially on these teams where the players are already priced up for the production. So boiling that down and then stating it a different way, we could basically say that the Chances of this game hurting your roster and the chances of this game hurting others for not playing this game are probably roughly the same. In other words, the chances of this game going for 46, 49 points and you're paying a lot in salary for a game that's kind of underperforming the salary based expectations of the game as a whole are about as high as the chance of this game going for 65 to 70 combined points. In other words, you shouldn't be scared of not playing this game, in my opinion, any more than you should be scared of playing this game. This isn't a surprise game total. So again, players are generally priced for their expectations in this type of game. That kind of makes this game either A, as I talked about in the NFL Edge and as Hilo talked about in his write-up for this game as well, a spot where it makes the most sense to either bet on the Chiefs side, which is the more concentrated side, or to bet on this game environment as a whole. Now, Amari Cooper is out. That changes things a little bit for the Cowboys. But same as we did last week with Chase Claypool, where he was seeing five to six targets a game. And we could say, well, James Washington is probably going to step in and see four or five targets. And this is before Mason Rudolph was under center. So that kind of everything that we kind of knew went out the window. But heading into that spot, it was like, how many extra targets are really getting spread around from the fact that, that Chase Claypool is out, right? Five to six targets, and then those get spread out to several other guys. It's not like anybody sees a huge bump in target share. So let's go ahead and look at what Amari Cooper has actually seen this year with Dak Prescott under center. And I feel like this is going to blow some people's minds because most people just kind of blindly say, 
Amari's out. Well, now there's all this extra volume. And I say most people as in the place and places where most people get their information, whether that's Roto World or I don't really read ESPN Fantasy stuff, but I would imagine that ESPN Fantasy reacts the same way. Like big fantasy outlets are just kind of going to kind of take the straightforward path and say, well, Amari's out. This concentrates targets on everybody else on this offense. This makes CeeDee Lamb that much more valuable. This makes Zeke that much more valuable. Dalton Schultz that much more valuable. Okay, sure. Amari Cooper had four targets last week against Atlanta. Amari Cooper had five targets the week before that against Denver. The week before that, Cooper Rush was under center. The the game before that that Amari played with Dak against New England, he had eight targets. In that game, New England sold out to isolate and take away C.D. Lamb between the 20s, sold out to isolate and take away Dalton Schultz from the in the red zone. Amari had eight targets. The week before that, against the Giants, he had six targets. The week before that, against Carolina, he had three targets. The week before that, against Philly, he had four targets. The week before that, against the Chargers, he had five targets. That's four, five, eight, six, three, four, five. Four, five, eight, six, Three, four, five. Rashad Bateman has seen six, six, and eight, and eight targets his last four games. That's a higher average than what Amari Cooper has seen. Amari has seen just under six targets per game with Dak this year. Outside of that week one game against Tampa when Dak threw 50 plus times or 50 times and Amari saw 17 targets. And obviously there is a potential for a game flow scenario here where Dak throws 50 times. But if that's not the case, if Dak is throwing 32 or fewer times as he has in all but two games this year, there aren't that many extra targets that are being spread around from Amari being out. Cedric Wilson is going to step into the slot. Sean McKeon is going to be playing at tight end. McKeon probably gets one or two targets this week. Cedric Wilson probably gets three or four targets this week that he would not have gotten had Amari Gallup and CeeDee Lamb all been out there. And that really doesn't create that many extra targets for CeeDee Lamb for Michael Gallup. And then we also have to think about how a coaching staff operates. They are going to call plays based on the personnel that they have. So we could see them go, you know, call two or three extra run plays than they would have called otherwise, right? So again, that's taking away that volume from Amari. So the idea that Amari being out creates just this big boon for other players. Well, as we talked about on in Inner Circle on Tuesday, we always want to peel back the to the second layer, the third layer, rather than just taking things on the surface. A lot of times when we peel things back to the second and third layer, we find that what we, what people were thinking on the surface was correct. It validates what people were seeing on the surface. But Far more often than the field realizes, peeling back to that second and third layer tells a very different story than what people are just assuming on the surface. So this game, betting around this game environment, basically means you need to be betting around this game environment in in such a way that you're telling a story where this game is a true back and forth affair, leading to the Cowboys throwing the ball extra times. 40 pass attempts, 45 pass attempts, leading to volume piling up on these individual players and leading to this game environment as a whole being a had-to-have-it game environment. So I think that a lot of people will be entering this slate from a starting, starting point of this game, figuring out what pieces they want from this game. And obviously it's it's there's a good chance that there are pieces from this game that produce at a high level. There are pieces from this game that produce above their salary-based expectations. And because, again, we, we talked a bunch already about the fact that players in this game are pretty much priced appropriately. But that also means that if they hit, considering that they're expensive players, if they hit what they, like if they exceed their salary-based expectations, they are putting up raw had-to-have-it scores. In other words, if Tyree Kill goes for 27-28 and you miss that, that's not a huge deal. It's great to have it, but it's not a huge deal if you miss it. But if he smashes his salary 
Not only it's not like a, a 5K player putting up 30 points where they smash their salary and you're kind of behind because you didn't have that, but you have to find other ways to make that up. If a player in Tyreek Hill's price range smashes his salary, if he puts up 42, 45 points, that's just such a big raw score. When you think about needing 200 points to win a tournament most of the time, 200, 210, 215, whatever it might be, and you've got 45 points covered on one player. Well, if everybody else has that and you spent similar salary and got 20 points, that's now a huge gap to make up. So again, there's nothing wrong with playing players from this game. I am heavily considering, again, I'll have two to three rosters this week. I'm heavily considering Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey on every one of those builds thinking about, okay, how can I move up to those guys? I'm also thinking about how can I get exposure to those, this game from cheaper players. Cedric Wilson is going to be on the field a decent amount this week and could easily see five to six targets. And given the way that the chiefs play defense, where they try to limit those downfield looks and try to filter the ball away from wide receivers. Well, the chances of CD lamb and Michael Gallup having a monster game are lower than the field is probably going to assume. We've talked about this for several years now, that the field tends to look at Chiefs games and just say, all right, stack it up. But the Chiefs defense has consistently limited production to wide receivers. Now, every once in a while, a wide receiver busts through and has a huge game. But when it's all said and done, when the season's over, this is going to end up having been one of the toughest wide receiver matchups on the slate. So somebody like Cedric Wilson is going to be stepping in and playing a lot of slot snaps. It allows him to get some underneath work and kind of pick up those, you know, five catches for 45 yards or whatever it might be. And then if you you break a long one or score a touchdown. It ends up being a really nice score at a really low price tag, 3,200. Byron Pringle is another guy. Go look at his game logs, right? Like he has big play potential. Typically it's going to be two to three targets. Every once in a while, four, five, six targets. But if the Cowboys try to isolate Tyreek Hill and the Chiefs are still attacking downfield, well, Byron Pringle is probably the guy who's going to hit that big play. Not McCole Hardman, who's seeing most of his work in kind of the short area jet sweep designed touches type of part of the field. But the guy who's actually seeing the deeper work being Byron Pringle is kind of the guy who could end up getting one of those, you know, sub 1% owned big outputs. This is the type of play that Cubs fan is always looking for, right? Like who is the guy who's going to be on the field a decent amount for the team that's expected to score points and that nobody's going to be on this guy. Byron Pringle, again, probably going to be under 1% owned. That would just be off the top of my head. I just can't imagine that many people are thinking about him, but generally he's playing half the snaps. And when he's on the field, he's there to kind of try to break open downfield. So looking for other ways to gain exposure to this game is another thing I'm going to be doing. And I will only be stacking up both sides from the like core players. If I am also betting on a quarterback and kind of betting on this game environment as a whole, and basically taking a minimum of four players from this game. So otherwise I won't have a Tyree kill plus CD lamb or a Travis Kelsey plus Dalton, well, Dalton Schultz. That's not a good way to uh, draw that up. Uh, Travis Kelsey plus CeeDee Lamb or Tyree Kill plus Dalton Schultz, like kind of the two two of the core pieces and then just leave it at that. Travis Kelsey, Ezekiel Elliott. Those are not places I'm going to be going. If I'm betting on this game environment, I want to bet on it going well above its 56 points. In other words, I want one quarterback, two of his pass catchers, one pass catcher from the other side. The one exception to this, again, will be if I go Kelsey or Hill and then try to take a cheap second piece from this game, which could be Byron Pringle. It would be Byron Pringle over Tyree Kill. So it would be Kelsey plus Byron Pringle, or it could be uh, Hill plus Cedric Wilson or Kelsey plus Cedric Wilson. Those are kind of the ways that I could end up going with a lower cost guy in this game that's not really like a, a full bet on game environment, but basically saying, hey, if 56 points are scored here and those points don't flow through the most obvious guys, there's potential for one of these cheap guys to blow past his salary multiplier. So that's the starting point for most people. That's kind of how I'm seeing that game. I think that's important and valuable to talk through. But what am I seeing as my entry point for my rosters this week? I said that there are kind of two entry points that I'm seeing. The second entry point, the one that that I'm leaning toward as far as here's where I'm starting my rosters 
and I'll make my decisions around that starting point. Now, let's be clear. Just because this is my starting point doesn't mean that it's going to be correct in the small sample size of one week. But I do love finding a starting point that's different from the starting point that the field is likeliest to find. Uh, Going back to what I just said about just because this is the starting point I'm seeing doesn't mean it's going to hit, right? Two weeks ago, my starting point was Jalen Waddell plus Mike Gusecki for just a large block of guaranteed points. Then on Sunday morning, Tua was out, and that no longer made as much sense with Jacoby Brissett, kind of wrecked my starting point. I had to start from scratch on Sunday morning. Last week, my starting point was Tom Brady plus Mike Evans plus Chris Godwin, which didn't work out in the small sample size of one week. Unfortunately, that was such a high probability bet. We could play out that game 100 times and it would have been profitable far more often than not, even with the elevated ownership on that stack. But I digress. This week, my starting point is the running back position. And the fact that we have a lot of 2014 2015 running back situations plus one 2016 running back situation. 2014-2015 was the era of finding the guy who had a much bigger workload than his price tag implied he would. So back then, DraftKings was not as aggressive about pricing up backup running backs. In fact, back then, minimum price tag for running backs was 3K. They moved it up to 4K maybe in 2018. So back then, you could find starting running back gets hurt. Backup running back is 3,500, 4,200, 4,600. That was not unusual. The, the Mark Ingram price tag from last week was not unusual in 2014-2015. That has changed But as we've also talked about, the way that running backs across the league, the way that running backs are being used across the league has also changed. So the 8K running backs are really typically not worth an 8K price tag. That 8K price tag implies a guy who is getting 90% 90 of the snaps, 85% of the snaps, and seeing heavy pass game involvement, schemed pass game involvement, in addition to heavy touches. So that would be the Najee Harris role, the Christian McCaffrey role. And those are really the only two running backs in the NFL who have that role. So we get these other guys who are still priced up in this range because they're really efficient or because they have a lot of pass catching work, but that pass catching work can go up and down. DeAndre Swift, Austin Eckler, or they're really efficient and and they score a lot of touchdowns. Dalvin Cook is an example of that. Dalvin Cook, it's interesting to note, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but he scored 17 touchdowns last season and 10 of those came in four games. I think he played 14 games last year. So the other seven touchdowns came across 10 games, basically like one or or, or, uh, 67% of a touchdown per game, uh, 70% of a touchdown per game across those 10 games. Oh, that math was easier than I realized. 77 touchdowns in 10 games, 70% of a touchdown per game. And then in these other four games, he averaged two and a half touchdowns. And that's kind of what drove his salary so high. Interesting to note Six of those touchdowns came in two games against the Packers last year. Also last year in the first game between the Vikings and Packers, Devontae Adams put up like 44 points and Marquez Valdez-Scantling put up, I think it was 19. Now that in the second game between those teams, uh, MVS and Devontae both disappointed. So that's not like, hey, that happened before. That's going to happen again. Just interesting things to keep in mind from a divisional matchup where we have kind of some, some history that we can look at there. But back to the running back discussion. So we have these you know, high-priced running backs that aren't really worth those high-priced running back price tags. And so while we aren't getting the 4,200, 4,600 backup running back stepping into a full role, we do have some running backs who are in full roles. And that's rare in today's NFL. Like I said, Christian McCaffrey, Najee Harris are really the only guys who have that role. So the fact that A.J. Dillon, now A.J. Dillon is basically not quite like Dearness Johnson last week where Kareem Hunt was on injured reserve and the number one and number four backs were on the COVID list. And so it was like very clearly just Dearness Johnson. Uh, The Packers 
are going to be without Kylan Hill in addition to being without Aaron Jones. The Packers have some practice squad running backs that they are going to be mixing in here. And I can't imagine that Dylan gets 95% of the snaps. But it would also be, so Matt LaFleur has a history, right, of, of spreading the workload out. But it would be very surprising if he did that this week to any extent beyond just getting Dylan necessary rest. So calling AJ Dylan a tw- an 80% back, maybe 85% back, and even if he's an 80% snap share back, probably 90% of the running back touches is pretty reasonable. Swing over to James Connor. Last week, Connor played 45 out of 55 possible snaps. That is a great place for a running back to be in, especially when they are priced just above 6K. Again, it's rare that we have this type of role we can bet on. Now, Connor is in better shape if Kyler Murray plays. The Cardinals are calling him a game time decision, but it does seem like he is trending toward playing. Unfortunately, that's a late game. So you have to have kind of your backup plan in place or decide, well, I'm just going to play James Connor regardless. The thing about James Connor is most people won't pivot off of him or they won't have a plan in place to be able to pivot off of him if Kyler is out, which means he could be a little bit over-owned for his expectations if Kyler's out. So sharpest thing to do is to have a backup plan to be able to say, hey, look, I'm not betting that Connor's going to disappoint just because Kyler Murray's out. I'm just optimizing my strategy, saying, look, if everybody else, if if people wouldn't be owning Connor at this level necessarily if they knew Colt McCoy was going to be under center. So now he's over-owned for the situation. And so let me think about a way that I could take advantage of that if Connor ends, if, if, uh, if that ends up being the case, if that ends up being the setup where we get to Sunday afternoon, Kyler Murray is announced as out, and we've got the Connor plus Colt McCoy backfield and still high ownership on Connor. Um, just play around with the potential pivots off of that based on your roster construction so that you can kind of move away from that setup if you choose to. Anyhow, uh, Connor, same thing. Basically, a full time role should be on the field about 80% of the plays and should get over 80% of the running back touches. Mark Ingram. Now, Mark Ingram has some question marks because Tony Jones is coming back, but Tony Jones wasn't taking away work from Alvin Kamara before. And even though, right, we know that Tony Jones was on IR. So that's part of the reason that the Saints went out and got Mark Ingram. But also, I don't think that the Saints have been particularly thrilled with Tony Jones. I have a hard time seeing him coming back and taking on 40% of the work and kind of limiting Mark Ingram. With that said, I also pointed out this week in the NFL Edge, right, this is not the Drew Brees Saints offense. Mark Ingram scored 20.8 DraftKings points last week. There have only been two games this year in which Alvin Kamara, the alien, outscored 20.8 DraftKings points. So Mark Ingram isn't quite in the same category for me as these other guys. But again, another guy with a relatively full-time workload, pass game involvement, goal line work, rush attempts at a cheap price tag. David Montgomery, another guy. In fact, I keep saying Najee Harris and Christian McCaffrey are really the only guys in the NFL with this full-time running back role. I guess that's kind of a lie because David Montgomery also has this 80% plus snap rate role on the Bears. Now, the Bears should be behind. Their chances of scoring more than two touchdowns are relatively low. But David Montgomery, seven of his last 10 games has scored, eight of his last 11 games has scored 20 plus DraftKings points. Now, again, several of those games, most of those games were last season with a different offense. But this is a guy who I would have to imagine will go extremely overlooked by the field and basically has a full-time running back role. Then we move up to the top of the price range where we have Christian McCaffrey, who can put up 35 to 40 to 50 points on any given week in any given matchup. So for me, the starting point is going to be running back. 
I am playing smaller field tournaments. So three running backs is more powerful in small field play than it is in large field play. But even if I were in large field play, when you just kind of compare what's available for wide receivers in the high five Ks, the low six Ks, well, what would you rather have from a floor and ceiling standpoint? How many wide receivers do you see in that high 5K, low 6K range where you can say, yeah, I can see this guy going for 30 to 32, 33 points? Well, we can say that about Connor and Dylan. And in addition to that, their bad games are probably going to be 13, 14, 15 points. Well, let's look at the wide receivers in in that price range. What are their bad games going to be? Eight points, nine points, 10 points, 11 points. So going three running backs this week is a very interesting approach to me. And going three running backs... And trying to find a way to get my three favorites, the three highest probability bets, none of whom are going to be low-owned, but all of whom are going to be low-owned as a block. And that is A.J. Dillon, James Conner, and Christian McCaffrey. And what I mean by low-owned as a block is there just won't be that many rosters that have these three guys together. There will probably be 15 to 20% of rosters that have a running back in the flex, So that already narrows things down significantly right there. This is kind of the highest price tag we've seen on Christian McCaffrey since his return. He's also priced up in the same range as Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill, who people will also want to be chasing, Dalvin Cook, who people will also be interested in. So what do we see? 20, 25% ownership on Christian McCaffrey. And so let's say we have 1,000 rosters. Let's let's simplify this, right? 1,000 rosters in in a contest. 200 to 250 have Christian McCaffrey. Also, maybe 200 rosters have a running back in the flex, but how many have that overlap where they have a running back in the flex and also have Christian McCaffrey? We could be generous here and say maybe 75, 80, maybe even 100 rosters have Christian McCaffrey and a running back in the flex. But then how many of them have the exact same two other running backs, right? So now we're down to maybe 20 rosters, 15 rosters that have the exact setup that we have. 1%, 2% of rosters, maybe 3% of rosters have Christian McCaffrey plus both of these running backs, which is interesting because again, all three of these running backs are going to be high owned. They just, they're great plays. Everybody knows that they're great plays. We just won't have that many rosters that say, hey, I am going to start here. Instead of starting with the Cowboys and Chiefs and thinking about how I'm going to play this and then figuring out which running backs they want to narrow things down to, if we start at running back, we now have the the starting point where we're saying, hey, we're going to start with these three guys and see what we can build from there. Well, now we have these three popular high probability plays, but at low combinatorial ownership. So I think that's a very interesting approach this week, and it's the approach I am going to be taking as my starting point for my rosters. That will also be my starting point for the bottom-up build because I wanted to see what I could build around a setup of these three running backs while still keeping us under a 44K salary cap. Now, the next thing that I want to look at here, and this is where my rosters get interesting this week, is I still want to have flexibility to consider Devontae Adams, to consider Tyree Kill, to consider Travis Kelsey. And it's difficult to have two running backs in the 6k range and a wide receiver and a running back who costs 8900 and still be able to pay up for Travis Kelsey, pay up for Tyreek Hill, pay up for DeVonte Adams without sacrificing things in other spots on the roster. But one of the things that we talked about a lot this year is understanding what a player's scoring range is at the high end of the price range and at the low end of the price range. So again, we've talked a lot about, we talked especially last week, right? About, hey, here's all these running backs in the 8K price range who are all in really good spots. But most of them are going to score in a range of 24 to 30 points. So when we have these cheap running backs who can score 20 to 25 points, it's not really that much worth the extra salary to get up to these expensive running backs. Last week, there were so many expensive running backs we liked. Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, Dalvin Cook, Najee Harris. But Jonathan Taylor was the only one from that group who scored 30 plus points. Actually, correction, he didn't score 30 plus points. He scored 27.6. Christian McCaffrey scored 
26 points. Dalvin Cook scored 20 points. Uh, Najee Eckler were, you know, actually I think they were both below that mark, but they were in that range. And so basically what we were saying was let's not overspend just for the floor if that's why these guys are priced at this level. And let's consider these cheaper running backs, which is where we kind of ended up on the the two cheap running back build, something that Hilo and Zandemir dove deeply into in the Saturday strategy podcast for Inner Circle. Uh, and actually, Hilo and I were talking just today about how did neither of us see the three pay down running back play, something that both of us were upset with ourselves about after last week, because both of us had Ingram plus Dearness Johnson. Both of us considered Ramondre Stevenson over Mark Ingram, but neither of us toyed around with the three pay down running back build. So again, understanding that, look, it's great to pay 8K and get 25 to 30 points, but if you're paying 8K just for that floor, if you're playing paying 8K for the fact that these guys are going to get there with a higher frequency than kind of the cheaper guys, a lot of times you're selling your upside short. So let's take that over to the quarterback position. Now, this week's a little bit different because in a game environment that breaks the right way, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott could both go for 35 to 40 points. Josh Allen could go for 35 to 40 points in a game where he's unlikely to be pushed to have to put up a bunch of points, but where he's also unlikely to meet much resistance. Lamar Jackson can put up 35 to 40 points as well. But what if all those guys put up their standard range of scoring? 26 points, 28 points, 30 points. Well, then what if we can get 20 to 23 to 25 points at the low end of the price range? Now we end up getting a score. What I what I like to do is just kind of say, hey, what's the extra salary being spent, right? If you spend an extra 2,600 in salary, optimally you want, let's 4X that. Optimally you want at least 10 extra points. So anytime where I can save 2500 in salary or 2k in salary and and find a way that the gap in scoring could end up being only three four five points well now i can basically say hey i can use this 2k in salary this 2500 in salary better in another spot so this week where it's more of a priority to me to get Devonte adams or tyree kill or travis kelsey or i should say to have the flexibility to play those guys while also playing this three running back block that I want to start with, it it kind of pushes me to look at the cheaper quarterbacks. And what I really like about that is, again, just from a roster construction standpoint, this is not the way most people are going to be going. So I can end up with a lot of chalky, popular players and not worry about the fact that they're chalky and popular because I have a totally different roster approach roster construction than the field is going to have. As we often say, right, we shouldn't think so much about who we're fading so much as we just think about who we're playing. Think about who you're playing that gives you a path to 200 plus points. And optimally, that's kind of a different approach than what other people are playing. So you're not fading particular players or games or whatever. You're just building differently. So for me, from starting from this point of these three running backs, knowing that I want to have flexibility to fit in some of these other high-priced guys kind of pushes me over to the cheaper quarterback bucket. At the start of the week or middle of the week, there were two cheap quarterbacks I was considering. One was Cam Newton. We've talked about that he and Christian McCaffrey have combined for 70 or for 50 plus points in seven of their last 10 games together while acknowledging that that sample size is, you know, ancient history. That's a different cam, a different coaching staff, but just interesting to see how these two pieces can work together. We have news as of Saturday that who knows if this is coach speak or not, but Matt Rule basically saying that Cam will start, PJ Walker will also play. Who knows if that's actually true or not, but that does introduce enough uncertainty that in a smaller field tournament, that's probably not where I'm going to be going. Building two to three rosters, it's unnecessary for me to take on that risk in a contest type where certainty is extremely important as well. The other cheap quarterback, and if you read the NFL Edge, you kind of saw me come to this realization in the midst of writing up my interpretation for this game, is Tyrod Taylor. Now, there's two ways to look at this, right? On the one hand, oh, the Tennessee pass defense ranks ninth in DVOA against the pass, and they shut down the Rams, and they shut down the Chiefs. All of that is true, 
But it's also true that the Tennessee pass defense has given up the second most passing yards and the fifth most passing touchdowns in the NFL. It's also true that the Texans are likely to fall behind here and be chasing points. And it's also true that two weeks ago when Tyrod Taylor returned, he was a very sexy play as a guy who in six quarters to start the season had looked really good. Let's keep in mind that Tyrod Taylor is not your typical backup quarterback, right? Tyrod Taylor is Ryan Fitzpatrick. In other words, he is the guy who is better than 10 to 12 starters in the league, but he has shown that he doesn't have a Super Bowl ceiling. So he's the guy that teams like to have as their hedge bet. They can basically say, well, this guy will start until our young guy is ready. It's happened now three times for Tyra Taylor. He was on the Browns with Baker Mayfield. He was on the Chargers with Justin Herbert. And now he has come to the Texans with Davis Mills, although really Davis Mills is kind of a long-term project. It's probably not going to pan out. And the original plan for the Texans appeared to be playing Tyrod Taylor throughout the course of the season. Tyrod Taylor, who Adam Levitan nicknamed Ty God back in the day because he was so frequently able to kind of blow past his salary multipliers because of his dynamic ability. The fact that he doesn't turn the ball over. He had three interceptions in his last game. So that kind of like it, it, it skews our, pers- our perception of him. But keep in mind that over his career, he does not turn the ball over. He can run the ball. He plays relatively conservatively, but can take downfield shots. Put it all together and he can produce at a, at a level much higher than his 5K price tag implies. He and Brandon Cooks, averaged or or scored, I should say, 39.5 or more combined points in their first two games together. And in the second of those games, Tyrod Taylor only played one half against Cleveland. Again, two weeks ago, he was a sexy pick against Miami, came out and laid a dud against a Miami defense that has gotten much better as the season has moved along. And all of a sudden, Everybody's forgetting about him. Nobody's paying attention to him. Uh, it, it almost seems like a crazy play. Tyrod Taylor plus Brandon Cooks is going to combine for 40 plus points, which is about 4x their combined salary, far more often than almost any other quarterback wide receiver combo on this slate will combine for 4x their combined salary. So, what are we doing with this bottom up build? Well, we already have A.J. Dillon, Christian McCaffrey, James Conner. We are going to put in Tyrod Taylor, Brandon Cooks. Now, salary gets tight because we're keeping under a 44K salary cap. So we have A.J. Dillon already, which is a pay up, not pay up, but it's not a cheap running back. It's not a salary saver. We have James Conner, who's not a salary saver. We have Christian McCaffrey, who's the most expensive player on the slate. And we have Brandon Cooks, who's 6K at wide receivers. That takes up a chunk of salary. So if you're building along with me, you see that salary gets pretty tight here. But what can we do? Well, Danny Amendola is on the field over half the snaps for the Texans, and he's on the field situationally. In other words, he's on the field for plays where his skill set is going to be put to use. So Danny Amendola stepping onto the field for over half the plays against Tennessee uh, and soaking up some work underneath. He's going to need a touchdown in order to pay off or to blow past his $3,100 price tag. But if we want to bet on a game environment in which Tennessee is playing from in front and the Texans are chasing points, well, Tyra Taylor plus Brandon Cooks plus Danny Amendola is not a low probability bet. Week one this year against the Jaguars, this three-player block scored just under 60 points. They need to get to about 55, 56 points to 4X their salary. And anytime you can 4X your salary, it's great. Anytime you can average 20 points per player, it's great, especially for guys who combined cost under 5K per player. A lot of times it is not the high-priced guy who fails, who kind of breaks a roster. A lot of times, you know, you'll get the 35 to 40 points from Christian McCaffrey or the 30 points from Dalvin Cook or the 35 points from Devontae Adams or whatever it is that you're paying up to get. But the cheaper guys you put in in order to enable you to play those more expensive guys end up going for three points or seven points or eight points or 12 points or whatever it might be. And so they're not able to kind of stack points together together 
to provide the foundation you need for liftoff from these higher scores at the top. So if you can get three cheaper guys who combine to average 20 points apiece, three cheaper guys who average over 4x their combined salary, you are in tremendous shape. So Tyrod Taylor and Danny Amendola and Brandon Cooks is how we're going to set up this bottom-up build. We are also then, again, we're needing to save salary here. We are going to bring this back with Marcus Johnson from the Titan side. Now, Marcus Johnson was one who I wasn't particularly interested in at the start of the week, primarily because when a player goes for five catches for 100 yards out of nowhere, you kind of just say it would be a fish play to play that guy. Our general perception is, oh, the field is going to flock to this guy and they're overrating the chances of this happening. Again, recency bias, this is why everybody's playing him. But realistically, we're going to end up on Sunday and see that Marcus Johnson is 5% owned, 6% owned, 7% owned, somewhere in that range, because everybody kind of has this thought. Everybody's like, oh yeah, this guy, it's recency bias. There's no need to chase this. I don't want to look like a fish playing this guy again. But Nick Westbrook-Ikini played 22 snaps last week. Marcus Johnson played 38, 38 out of 60 snaps. He played on the boundary for 34 of those snaps, which gives him plenty of upside. And his route tree was expansive and nuanced. Crossing routes, outbreaking routes, downfield routes. Uh, in Earlier in the season, he had a, a nice game where he had a lot of downfield work. Uh, last season, the season before that with the Colts, he had some games with downfield work. And so... Uh, I'll say it like this. Basically understand that he's a guy who probably doesn't see more than five or six targets, but he has a good shot at getting into that range, four, five, six, seven targets, somewhere in that range. And the targets he's seeing are actually valuable targets. So it's not the kind of play where you're hoping he catches three catches for 30 yards. It could legitimately be the type of play where he catches four for 80 or five for 100, as he did last week. Uh, last season, he had a five for 108 week. The year before that, he had a three for 105 week. So he has this type of downfield role, this type of downfield upside that can kind of break things open in the spot, especially against the Texans' defense, and especially if the Texans try to sell out to stop A.J. Brown. So Marcus Johnson becomes a very interesting way to save salary this week, and that kind of leads to the... Well, actually, let me let me tie this up. So the bottom-up build, Marcus Johnson, obviously kind of wraps into this, this stack really nicely. We've got Tyrod Taylor, we've got Brandon Cooks, we've got Danny Amendola, we've got Marcus Johnson. This allows us to get the three running backs. Uh, we're going to close this roster out with Will Disley at tight end. Disley is not in a great matchup, but Gerald Everett is going to miss this game. Will Disley will be the full-time tight end for a team that uses the tight end on occasion. Will Disley 2,500, again, unlocks some things. Great for the bottom-up build, but I wouldn't mind playing him on a real tournament roster either. Panthers defense is how we will close up this bottom-up build. So again, Tyrod Taylor with Brandon Cooks, Danny Amendola, and Marcus Johnson. The three running backs we've talked about, Dylan, James Conner, and Christian McCaffrey. Uh, Will Disley at tight end and the Panthers defense, which leads us to the final thing I want to talk about here. And that is there aren't a lot of 4K to 5K tight ends and wide receivers who are significantly more, quote, certain than the cheap tight ends and wide receivers. So in the player grid this week, we have labels of floating wide receivers and floating tight ends. And these are guys who, so again, on my rosters, I'm going to have three running backs. I'm also probably going to use Tyrod Taylor and Brandon Cooks on all two or three of my rosters. So I'm not that focused on wide receiver, right? There are, there's ways to fit in Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, and I'm looking for those ways. Um, and, you know, basically if I can fit in those guys, I can fit in anybody else who I want to fit in as well. So I can kind of go with, you know, I can go with the Stefan Diggs or I can go with the Emmanuel Sanders or bet on one of these other passing texts, the Jamar, uh, Jamar Chase, right? So like in the player grid, you'll see that at wide receiver, we have Brandon Cooks, Packers wide receivers, Cowboys wide receivers, 
Chiefs wide receivers, Bills wide receivers, and then the floating wide receivers. So again, if I end up with Brandon Cooks on every roster and these three running backs on every roster, and and I don't know that I'll kind of stick with that exact setup, right? Like maybe I'll do something different at quarterback and wide receiver on a third roster, or maybe I'll shift down to Mark Ingram on one of these rosters or David Montgomery on one of these rosters. Maybe I'll skip Christian McCaffrey on one of these and go three pay down quote pay down running backs to say quote, because again, 61, 6,200 isn't really pay down, but for the roles and running backs, I'm considering these guys pay down running backs. So there's different ways that I could play things, but I'm probably going to have, I'm almost certainly going to have three running backs on each of my rosters this week. And I am going to probably have one wide receiver spot already spoken for with Brandon Cooks on at least two of my three rosters. And on a third roster, if I don't have Brandon Cooks, I'm probably trying to fit in like, hey, how do I fit in Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill, right? And then maybe pay down at the third running back spot or whatever it might be. So that kind of really just leaves one wide receiver spot left and one tight end spot left. For me, for the way I'm building, everything is kind of about unlocking these running back combos and allowing myself to still target the guys like Devontae, Tyreek, Kelsey, Jamar Chase, Stephon Diggs, whoever it might be at the high ends of the price range. So that means I'm looking for cheaper wide receivers, cheaper tight ends who unlock things. And again, as I've noted, there aren't that many, there's not that much separation between the kind of 4K, 5K guys at these positions and the super cheap guys at these positions. So with that in mind, I will be willing to, and the ceiling is a little bit different, and we'll kind of walk through a couple of these plays, but I will be willing to pay down in order to unlock other spots on my roster. So here's what I mean. Elijah Moore is one of my floating wide receiver plays. Elijah Moore we don't know what this offense is going to look like with Joe Flacco under center. We know that the Jets are going to be facing man a lot of man coverage from the Dolphins. We know that Corey Davis has struggled against man coverage in his career. We also know from the exploration of the NFL edge in this game that Joe Flacco doesn't target slot receivers all that often, which is where Jamison Crowder will, will be doing most of his work. So Keelan Cole actually is interesting, and Elijah Moore is interesting in terms of, hey, where could we find some big upside that other people are going to be missing in this same general price range. Brandon Ayuk in a game where the 49ers are going to be missing Elijah Mitchell. They probably won't have to pass a ton, but they might pass the ball a little bit more than they typically would against a Jaguars team that's also good against the run, bad against the pass. So sure, Debo Samuel is there, George Kittle's there, but Brandon Ayuk could end up getting six, eight, nine targets just sort of through the way that this game shapes up and end up putting up a big score. Rashad Bateman, we mentioned him earlier in the podcast, six targets, six targets, eight targets, eight targets. Uh, his first game, he was just kind of seeing a lot of short area outbreaking routes, but they have started expanding his target tree and he has upside. Plus, he has had a really great connection with Lamar Jackson so far. So another solid play. But again, all of these guys could also end up in the 8 to 10 to 11 to 12 point range. So if I end up having to eliminate Christian McCaffrey or move from Tyreek Hill down to the next tier of wide receiver or move from Devontae Adams down to the next tier of wide receiver. If I have to do that in order to get from Marcus Johnson up to Elijah Moore or Quez Watkins up to Rashad Bateman, I probably won't end up making that decision. So Rashad Bateman's chances of hitting a 20-point game are higher than Quez Watkins' chances. But both guys can get there. And more likely than not, both guys score, you know, somewhere in the range of like seven to 12 points. And so it's more important to me to kind of keep that salary flexibility at the top ends of the price range than to make decisions here first. So these floating wide receivers and the tight end position is kind of where I'll make my final decisions outside of, you know, at tight end, if I'm playing Travis Kelsey on a roster, then he kind of gets locked in. Uh, but Elijah Moore, Brandon Ike, Rashad Bateman are kind of the guys in the 4K to, to low 5K range who I like. And so if I end up with like move off Brandon Cooks and move down to like Emmanuel Sanders to bet on the Bills passing attack, something like that, I could end up with one of these guys. Uh, but cheaper down, I like Cedric Wilson, as we talked about already, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who is part of my Packers blocks that I like, Byron Pringle, who we talked about already, Danny Amendola, who is totally viable on this 
uh, slate, depending on how you're building, obviously. Um, but the other guys down here are Marcus Johnson, as, as we discussed, and Quez Watkins. Quez Watkins in a spot where a wide receiver two often has an opportunity for elevated production. It's tough to run against the Saints, and the Saints are typically going to be good at isolating and taking away a number one wideout. So Quez Watkins, who's you know pretty much uh, a full-time player at this point and saw, I think it was seven targets last week. Uh, correction, six targets last week, but six targets at 3,700 uh, in a spot where, again, wide receiver twos have plenty of potential. We know about Quez Watkins' speed and upside and downfield potential. So Quez Watkins at 3,700 is another guy who's very interesting to me this week. At tight end, the there are actually a, a lot of cheaper guys who are interesting mostly because a lot of these guys in like the 4k and 5k price range don't really stand out that much like if i'm getting up to tj hawkinson he can put up a 25 point game but with tim boyle under center he's likelier to put up a 10 point game a 9 point game an 11 point game whatever it might be uh so i'm going to try to get up to travis kelsey or get down to one of these cheaper guys. Darren Waller's interesting this week. George Kittle's interesting this week. But with two to three rosters, that's not where I'm going. For me, it's Kelsey or save some salary. So if I'm saving some salary, uh, Cole Komet is actually not in the player grid, mostly because he's going to be popular, I would imagine, right? Like people have been attacking the Ravens with tight ends and Cole Komet is kind of a guy that people know. And it'll be easy for content providers to take the surface layer route and say, oh, Allen Robinson's out and you attack the Ravens with tight ends. Cole Komet is the guy here. Uh, Cole Komet's interesting. I just think that he's likely to go over-owned for his actual range of outcomes. So the three guys I am eyeing down here, Tyler Conklin, CJ Uzoma, Will Disley, none of them really require that much of an exploration or explanation. Uh, Conklin and Uzoma have actual upside. They can go for 15 to 18 points, but they're likely a scoring range is 8, 10, 11, 12 points. And Will Disley probably gets you anywhere from five to seven to eight points, but could end up with 12 to 13 points. Will Disley is kind of a last resort here at 2,500, but he's 2,500 and that can unlock things in other spots in the roster. So again, I won't be worrying too much about these spots as like a decision point. So much as these spots will be for me, ways to make sure that I have flexibility in the other seven spots on the roster. So being able to start with the running backs I want to start with, being able to play around with the different high upside pieces I want to be able to play around with, high priced pieces I want to play around with, and then basically say, look, if I've got to end up on Marcus Johnson or Quez Watkins instead of Brandon Ayuk or Rashad Bateman, that's not a huge deal to me. If I have to end up on Will Disley over Yuzoma or Tyler Tyler Conklin, I will like that a little bit less. But it's you know it's not that un, unlikely that we see Tyler Conklin put up seven points and CJ Yuzoma put up eight points and Will Disley put up eight or nine points. And it's like, well, that extra 1K in savings was worth it for what it unlocked elsewhere on a roster. So I never want to just take a dud on a roster. Not that Will Disley is a dud, but I never want to just take a dud on a roster. But on a week like this, where you really kind of have to get up into the 6K price range just to feel pretty good about tight end. Well, then if I'm paying down, I'm okay paying all the way down if I have to, if it's the difference between me getting kind of the questionable 7K wide receiver or Devonte Adams or Tyree kill instead. So that's kind of how I'm looking at these positions and uh, how we will wrap up this bottom up build, this angles podcast with that, I will get out of here. It was a little bit longer this week than normal, but a lot of fun stuff to talk about. So uh, I will see you on the site throughout the weekend and I will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. 